Welcome to the Earth Keepers podcast. This podcast is for people who seek new and better ways to love and care for the Earth. It's a podcast for anyone who is deeply concerned about the harm being done to the environment on a local and global level. It's a podcast that builds community and connection between people of like heart and mind, people who believe that Earth care should be integrated into every aspect of life, and for many in the Earth Keepers community, that includes our spiritual practices. In this episode, we'll be talking with Alex Bailey, Senior Director of the Outdoor School in the Hill Country of Texas. The Outdoor School partners with hundreds of qualifying schools and nonprofit groups each year to provide transformative educational experiences in nature free of charge. The program especially targets youth in Texas who would not otherwise be able to afford this life-changing outdoor experience. Alex is also the founder of an organization called Black Outside Incorporated, whose purpose it is to reconnect black youth to the outdoors. You know, when I think about justice work, I think, man, we are doing an injustice if we're not thinking intentionally about who has access to God's creation, who has access to programming that really deepens our connection to God's creation, right? And who has proximity to green, healthy, clean, equitable spaces in God's creation. Welcome, friends, to the Earth Keepers podcast. Well, thanks for joining us, Alex. Maybe you could orient our listeners with a bit of what you do at Outdoor School and what a typical day would look like for you. My name is Alex Bailey. I'm a proud senior director of the H.E. Butt Foundation Outdoor School, where our mission is to cultivate wholeness in school communities through the outdoors. And we have a beautiful 2,000-acre property in the hill country of Central Texas, where we work alongside Title I schools to get them connected to the outdoors in intentional ways, and also at the same time cultivate wholeness within themselves and their school communities. For us, a typical day looks like a beautiful day spent in the canyon alongside some of our school communities. Sometimes during COVID, it was alongside many of our teachers providing professional development for them and thinking about intentional ways for them to connect the outdoors to their youth and their students. So that's a overview, a light overview of my day, but... <laughs> It's enough to make me covet your job, man. I really want to be doing what oh. you're doing right now. So I'm envious. Well, tell me about how this job resonates with your sense of vocation or, or even your faith. For me, I've had a unique journey kind of getting to this place that I'm at. I spent five years as a classroom educator, as a high school teacher. I have a passion for history and social studies. My grandfather was in World War II. He always told me so many like vivid stories about his time in the Navy and being a Navy frogman and, and also his time outdoors. And so I always remember being younger. He was a gardener and he had this deep connection, this faith connection with like being a steward of the plants in his garden and, and in the community garden that he oversaw. And so it's interesting that these ties, these all things kind of intersected in my world uh, and it all clicked one day. And part of that, what was, I think was a springboard prior to me teaching was being a camp counselor and seeing the impact that out the outdoors has on youth. You know, when I think about justice work, I think, man, we are doing an injustice if we're not thinking intentionally about who has access to God's creation, who has access to programming that really deepens their connection to God's creation, and who has proximity to green, healthy, clean, equitable spaces in God's creation. My vocation that I see is me helping, hoping to be a bridge or alongside a guide for a bridge 
for youth to to experience God's creation in nature in intentional and powerful and transformative ways. It's interesting. The the podcast episode previous to this one, the guy made that same point, and he represented the American Conservation Coalition, which is a kind of a Republican environmental organization. And he made that very same point about about injustice that keeps people away from connection to the land, from experiences with nature. If you want to go there right away, I'm I'm actually happy to because that's that's one of the questions we talk a lot about on the podcast, and that is the interconnection between environmental justice and social justice. And given that you see youth from from probably lots of different demographics, do you see places where injustice is happening, at least connected to to the environment? Absolutely. I mean, I think about where our parks are built, where they are, what parks are the nicest, even in our home city of San Antonio. In our home city of San Antonio, where a lot of our schools come from, our nicest parks are on the northwest side. That's a more affluent area of the city. When you go to Martin Luther King Park on the east side, you know, there is lots of trash there. It doesn't feel the same. And when there's groups of people, I'll openly name it's over-policed. And so, you know, uh, I was there Saturday with a community group that I volunteer with. And it was just interesting to see the dynamics of the group where everyone was there barbecuing, having fun. And the moment that, that law enforcement came, it didn't. And I don't think their intention was malicious. I want to be super clear about that. But it did. It made f- people feel, unfortunately, unsafe in that moment. And I thought, well, if people were barbecuing at a park on the northwest side, I don't think anyone would come over here and say anything. Those are real issues and barriers to communities getting outside. For a kid seeing that, they're like, oh, well, I don't, I I guess I'm not welcome here if someone's going to like call law enforcement on me or they're going to come and check on what I'm doing. I may not feel welcome or feel like this is my space if I see trash everywhere. I may not feel welcome if this is in, in a space where I don't see anything named after me. I mean, there's MLK Park, which is beautiful. But when you think about state parks and national parks, I mean, there's few that are named after people of color. So there's a lot of layers that we have to think about with the interconnectedness between barriers to people feeling like God's creation is also a place that's theirs to steward also. So how does that affect the way that you try to make those connections, depending on where people are coming from? For example, people who don't have that free access or who feel like being in a park is is actually a, a risky place for them. How do you help them to maybe connect with nature in the outdoor school? I think through our work is, you know, we have the, the beauty, privilege and access to such a beautiful space that's very immersive. And so I, I think one thing that we've been actually rethinking in a way is, is it too much? Are we doing an actual disservice to some of our communities by having kids go on a bus two hours away from their their urban environment, go to this beautiful space where the water's perfectly clear and they could do zip line and high ropes and kayaking and hiking and see all these amazing things. And what implicit messages does that maybe send about their home community? Because they may think, oh, well, wait a second, the water's not this clean in the San Antonio River. My community's bad. And there's beauty in nature and nature isn't isn't just going getting on a bus going two hours away. And so I think that's one thing we try to grapple with in my role with the outdoor school as we tackle those barriers is also the idea that the outdoors doesn't have to be a place where you have to get on a bus and go two hours away from because in their lives, we're creating another access issue. Not every kid has access or means to get on a bus and go to a state park two hours away or go explore the Frio River here in Texas. So 
That's one thing we've been actually having a, a good healthy tension with is how do we hold the balance of having a beautiful access to an amazing property, one of the most beautiful in Central Texas, and then also elevate and tell the story about the power of nature within their local community and connecting kids there also. So how do you do it? What's the answer? <laughs> I wish I had a magic answer. <laughs> I wish I could just wave a magic wand. I mean, I think part of it, you know, starts with the work of unpacking the word outdoors. I think when you think about outdoors, you think immediately, again, about a faraway place. Or you Sometimes you think about mountains. They think about these deep forests. But one thing I've encouraged some of our teachers to think about is just uh, outdoors is the moment you step foot outside of your house. Um, and it may, it's definitely going to feel different when you're at our property and you're hiking up one of our cliff walls or rappelling down and you get to see so many amazing views of the hill country. But at the same time, God's creation is all around us and there's beauty in God's creation all around us. I think one thing is just like really deconstructing and reimagining the definition of the outdoors alongside our communities and helping them be the author and narrative of understanding that the outdoors is the H.E. Butt Foundation Camp property, and it's also the San Antonio River, and it's also our community garden. It's all those things. It's not just one. When you bring people out to the camp to experience this, is this a, a regular thing that they get to do as part of their school programming, or is it a one-off thing? I think one thing we've been trying to push is try to make it a little bit more comprehensive and holistic for our school communities. Usually our schools come out once a year, a lot of the schools choose the grade level. So if they're like, we believe it's the most impactful for their sixth grade year. And they come out for a three day, two night retreat, essentially, which is basically like a mini summer camp experience where they get high ropes. They can do kayaking, fishing, hiking, a lot of different activities, completely free of charge on their end through our amazing and very philanthropic foundation, which really believes in providing access to a property for folks who, who wouldn't have the means to otherwise get to it. So when you think about some of the kids that you work with, what's your hope? in terms of how they might be transformed, how they might be changed, what they might take away from that experience? My hope is that they have a deeper, first and foremost, connection to themselves and understanding of themselves. I've just really, for I'll be honest, I've just pushed away from this belief that, that I just don't believe programs should be teaching kids how to be resilient. It just feels off to me that, especially programs that are working with youth from economically under-resourced neighborhoods, that you're telling them, oh, we're going to teach you resiliency. I'm thinking some of the youth that we serve come from, you know, single parent, single family households are the first in their families to potentially go to college, are in economically under-resourced neighborhoods and schools that are underfunded. They're already overcoming a lot of challenges and just their existence and their presence at our property is resiliency within itself. And so our job isn't to teach resiliency. Our job is to just cultivate it. Our job is to show and mirror it for our youth. So my hope is that they learn first and foremost about themselves and then import, most importantly about like the wonder and the curiosity of God's creation around them. It is seeing the clear blue water for the first time or getting up to the top of one of our, our famous hikes at Circle Bluff and you could see closely a red-tailed hawk flying over you. And I think that sparks curiosity and wonder about what's around me both here and in my home community. I know that you are are changing up your career a bit and switching over to investing in a new kind of organization. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I'm really blessed and fortunate that I spent you know time with the H.E. Butt Foundation. I'm so thankful for their leaders and transitioned to a more part-time role, focusing on equity work and teacher development with them. But going back to an organization I helped start alongside a lot of community members, 
Black Outside Inc. And our purpose and mission is to reconnect Black youth to the outdoors. Here in our home state of Texas, only 1% of Texas State Park participants identify as Black uh, or African American. And even across summer camps, only 4% of summer campers identify as Black. And, you know, as you mentioned, you use the word injustice, right? To us, that's an injustice that Black youth don't see themselves in God's creation and spaces as much as they should and could. And so we're working to change that. And we proudly do that through a summer camp program for girls. We also have a year-round program for youth of incarcerated families and a program for high school boys. So all that to say, there's a lot of work to be done. And it's it's beautiful to be able to pour my my hand and see God's hand work in, in so many different avenues and spaces alongside schools and alongside our African-American communities in Central Texas. And why did you start that specifically? Because in some ways, the outdoor school does some of this work. But it seems like maybe you've got some other objectives with, with this nonprofit. I think big objective for us is for our youth to be seen in programming. I think, you know, outdoor school, I think we do a good job of this centering you, like centering the perspective of the youth that we serve. But I want more for us. Like, I, I just think about we have a summer camp. We revived America's first historically black summer camp for girls here called Camp Founder Girls, which you can check out on Instagram or social media. That's one of our programs. And I think about the fact that that program, like the the team, volunteer team that works there, they think about young black girls first. They're like, wait a second. When we think about the schedule, black girls have spent so much time on their hair to get to camp. Let's extend a little bit more time on the front end or back end of swim time because we want to care for their hair. Right. And it's little things like that that are important bridges to the outdoors and that I want to see sometimes just black youth centered for once that their experience, their bodies, their their image, their beautiful hair is all thought about as a part of their experience and connection to God's creation, too. So that's like our bigger vision is that our youth feel seen, they feel heard, they feel valued, they feel loved through our programming and that they see the outdoors as a space for them also. I'm wondering if you have some stories, some examples that you can point to. I know for me, sometimes it's the stories of my students' transformation that kind of keep me going sometimes. And I'm wondering if that's the case with you, if you could point to to kids that you know who have actually been changed or had their perspective stretched by these experiences that you provide. You know, I'm actually going to focus a lot on our teachers for that for that question. We this last year we had the honor of launching a cohort called More Outdoors, and the focus was figuring out creative, curious, and community relevant ways to get more youth in the outdoors. And I think I was so inspired by so many teachers really working expansively and creatively to to bridge art in their classrooms and like, how do we bridge art in nature? How do we bridge physical education in nature? How do we bridge math in nature? Even something simple as, you know what, for this math equation today, we're going to calculate all this stuff outside using sticks and leaves. That to me, I love the fact you use the word stretch. It's like, I think that's the thing right now, the moment, the historical moment that we're into in our country and post COVID is we've got to stretch our imaginations. We've got to expand our imaginations for what's possible, especially for our youth and students. You know, I'll say this openly. I think what disappointed me most in the pandemic from the education world, I mean, there was a lot of stuff happening, was just, I thought this was just such an amazing opportunity for schools to innovate. If you really look at the history of school, our school system in America, it has legitimately not changed in over 100 years. <laughs> like, it's the same essential model. And I thought there were so many opportunities in the last year with the pandemic 
to think more expansively and creatively about what education, the definition of what education means and how we serve our youth in more intentional ways to meet their hopes and desires for their, for their futures. That is, is really what, what sparks my inspiration for our teachers that we work with because they were, they were willing to step out on faith almost and say, I'm going to try this cohort randomly and stretch my imagination and try a bunch of new things in the midst of a pandemic with my youth and my students and see how they connect to God's creation in a deeper way. Well, you know, we're still in that, that time of transition because people are just starting, at least in the States, to come out of that the COVID isolation, and then we have summer. So who knows what the fall is going to bring? What would you hope for? What kind of changes would you dream might come out of this this experience that we've been through in the past year and a half? Yeah, I mean, you've already seen it, right? I mean, I don't know if you saw the news story. National Park visitors are way, I mean, it's up a bunch of percentage points. So you're seeing people just like explore more, be curious more. People are traveling more because you realize you snap of a finger, you could be stuck inside. <laughs> and God forbid that we're stuck inside again. But I do think people are starting to cherish the world around them and become more curious. So my hope is that that curiosity continues. But alongside that curiosity that people when they do travel or they do go to national parks, that they think about who's also not here. Like who's here with me and who's not here? Who am I noticing that isn't here? Who doesn't have access? And how can I create a a more equitable pathway, equitable bridge that like more youth, more students, more communities can see some of the beauty of God's creation around us? Because that's always my push in the system. It's like, yeah, you walk the trails. Think about who's on the trails with you and who's not on the trails with you. And why is that? And I think that's where the curiosity piece and the wonder piece comes in as faith believers. What do you think is behind that? The fact that on some level, I suppose that folks from a certain demographic or neighborhood would feel out of place going to a park or would avoid going at all simply because they're not sure they belong just because of the dynamic you're mentioning. I will be open about the fact that, you know, I know from you know me as a black male, I mean, there's some parks I get scared to drive to. You see certain propaganda, you see Confederate flags and you're like, I don't know if I feel welcome here right along the way. Now he gets to the park and it feels safe, but you you know, it's like, okay, well, I leave the park at 730 and I'm driving at night through this area and I don't know if I'll feel safe. So I think the first thing is just thinking about where some of our parks are located, how they can be pretty distant from folks of different, along different racial lines. I also think there's a class piece too. You know, you go to your first state park here in Texas and you may not realize, oh, wait a second, $6 per person. Right. And you're like, start doing the math. I got a family of five. That's $30. I didn't expect that. I thought it was like a city park where I could just show up. I think like those can add to feelings of feeling like you don't belong. Um, and alongside just sheer, just knowledge and understanding or familial understanding of like gear and, you know, what's necessary there to go sometimes. You first walk into REI, it can be overwhelming. You're like, this is a lot of stuff that I have no idea about. This isn't a JCPenney. So I share that to say, I think those things add sometimes to feelings that like, especially for communities of color, where they may not feel like it's a space for them. And then just historically, we have to acknowledge the history of it. Familial access. I think a lot about summer camp. I mean, up until the 60s and 70s, there were explicit camps that said there are no kids of color allowed here. That's that's not that far off from, okay. that's my mom's. My mom grew up in the 70s, so she never experienced camp. Why would she encourage me to? So there's also a familial historical exclusion that exists that we also have to come to grips with and tell and do some truth telling and soul searching and reconciliation about. 
So in terms of the influence of the outdoor school, it seems to me that in that context, there could be opportunity to at least begin to change some of these things, perhaps help the kids understand a sense of ownership that these parks belong to all of us in the country, right? Or helping them even to understand some of the things they might expect in a, in a wild place that they've not encountered before and to encounter those things without fear, perhaps. Precisely. I mean, I love what you said, encounter that without fear. I mean, fear is natural, right? And we should, I think fear is healthy, but it's knowing how can you navigate that and navigate those emotions in a healthy way. My hope is, you know, through outdoor school that none of our even getting on a bus and going two hours is, is scary for some of our students within itself. So my goal is that they feel safe and cared for when they're here and know sometimes when they arrive to these places, there are people that are going to advocate for them and care for them too. So I think that's a key piece we try to emphasize. I would imagine there's something very powerful in the fact that you're the one teaching them or one of the people teaching them, that they see in you all these ideals that you're hoping to inculcate in them. Is that the case? Have you seen people maybe have their eyes open by the fact that, you know, you're modeling courage, you're modeling familiarity with the outdoors, modeling something that they probably don't see day to day? For sure. I mean, it does. I mean, I think sometimes people see me and they're like, whoa, what? <laughs> you're here, right? I mean, just the elephant in the room is a lot of times they don't expect to see a black male that's, that's pretty well-versed in outdoor education. And so I think it's interesting for me because I try to also hold a balance of not being to like inculcate youth or students with too much information. Cause I do think some people get so passionate in the outdoor education sphere that they talk, you know, outdoor education, like language, that's like way above kids heads and not relevant to them, you know? And, you know, I know there's a joke of like in, you know, in our faith community, right. Of Christianese, right. Like where you just start saying certain things that people are like, wait, what are you talking about? If you're not familiar with faith verbiage, I think this happens so much sometimes in the outdoors that if you, you may say certain things or, oh yeah, we're just going to hike up this trail for two miles. And people are like, wait, two miles, that's a long time versus saying, oh, we're actually just just going to walk for about 30 to 40 minutes and they're going to go up this hill. That sounds a lot different for some people. You say two miles, like that sounds so far away, but you say, hey, we're going to walk together for 30, 40 minutes. People in there are like, oh, I can do that. So those are little things that I try to think intentionally about alongside like my presence and, and culture that I bring, but also just differentiating for our the people that we serve that I don't want the outdoors to feel like I'm speaking this other language or I'm too you know, knowledgeable about the outdoors. It's not a place that they can go that I really try to be a bridge to what they're bringing in and meet our communities and, uh, and the folks that we serve where they're at. I'm curious about your motivation and, and maybe more specifically your relationship to nature. I mean, how would you describe that? And how does that maybe impact not only your sense of vocation, but perhaps your sense of spirituality in a nature context? So, of course, I'll tell you, I, uh, I I grew up in a very traditional black church. The ones you might see on TV, it's like that. We were in church for three hours. I, I joked with uh, one of my other directors here. I'm like, I think I collectively, I've probably been to more, <laughs> spent more time in church than a lot of people. Just haven't been. I was a pastor's kid. My stepfather was a pastor for seven years. I come from a family of ministers through the AME church. So I, I've just had pretty expansive experiences around like traditional church and traditional faith in Christian settings. And, you know, I'll, I'll be open when I went to college, I stepped away from from church a bit like traditional church. And I just started exploring more. And it was that first time I was actually a camp counselor and I went to the mountains 
and I saw a mountain up close for the first time in New Hampshire, the White Mountains on Lake Winnipesaukee. And I remember almost crying, right? And just like it reminded me of God's power, God's beauty, God's creation, God's curiosity, God's creativity right in front of me. Every morning I would look at this mountain and I would just like pray and reflect. And I just felt so much closer to God in an intimate way that I haven't felt. My belief, my personal belief is like, I just think there's so many different pathways and avenues to God. I do think for some folks being in in powerful, deep relational community through church is obviously just a huge avenue for millions of people. And I think for other people, it's that and potentially the outdoors of having an intimate connection to nature and God's creation or intimate connection to service in God's creation, intimate connection to God's people. And so for me, you know, when I think about my faith walk, and nature and like my purpose, I, I really, for me, it sparked a deeper relationship with God. And it's where, you know, when I'm stressed or things are heavy, I personally will go on a long hike on a Sunday and I'll listen to gospel music and I'll get to a high point and I'll just sit in stillness and reflect on, on God's beauty around me. And that to me is always regrounding for who I am and what I need to do and who I am becoming in this season of my life. So, yeah, for me, it's like that that nature is such an entry point, a touch point, a a literal spiritual touch point to God for me. You are working with kids from secular contexts. And so I'm wondering, do you think that they they sense that connection in you, even if you're not being overt and explicit about it? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a spiritual piece when you just see someone so excited or happy or just jubilant in an environment. You know, kids can feel joy. It's really hard to like hide emotions from kids. You don't like them. They'll know it, right? They'll sense it pretty quickly. So I should have to say, I think like the fact that it is very authentic about my passion for the outdoors that I'm not going to be doing backflips when they come. But when they're walking alongside me, they can see how I'm taking it in. We did a reflective activity with some teachers one time, and we had this beautiful question of what what is your heart saying as you're hiking? And like things like that that I'm exploring or naming as I'm going along of like what I'm feeling, what I'm seeing, what I'm touching, all these things, I think they can see the radiance of my connection to the outdoors and God's creation. And I think that's a that's an element of, of, of spirituality, quote unquote, within itself, that they feel that energy and that emotion. I may not be talking to them about John 316. But I mean, I'm showing them what a deep relationship with nature and God's creation can be and can look like in the impacts on a person. I listen to your your stories, like say of guiding a hike, and I think probably on some level you're giving some folks permission to ask those questions, which might seem strange to them. Like, what do you feel? What what kind of reaction does this place evoke in you? And maybe even giving them language, right? Showing them how how that can be expressed in words. I love what you said there, that how to express what you're feeling. I think a lot about our education system, that sometimes it's, it's just a go, 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 pass this next test, go, 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 pass the next standardized test. How can we sit in stillness and be okay with stillness? And that's an element that, that Jesus taught us. I mean, Jesus went to the wilderness for 40 days and was still. Even though there was so much work to be done, he only had, what, 30 odd some years on earth, but the fact that he spent 40 days of that time in stillness and stopping and and it was intentional. He was in the wilderness and that's the place where he sought a deeper connection. So I think for, for me, we want to model some of the life of Jesus through our programming and how we are programming. And and I'll name two for us. This is one of the things we've been, we thought a lot about for outdoor school during COVID 
was we looked at our schedule and we're like, how can we deconstruct the schedule? I mean, it's great that our kids do zip line, they do a climbing activity, they do kayaking, they do 12 different activities. Is that too much? Right. Is a question we're grappling with. Like, can our kids be our youth be still when they come? What if we deconstructed that down to six activities? And what if less is more? What if God's calling us to go deeper with kids and maybe extend the activities a little bit longer and give kids more downtime or unstructured time to explore their own curiosity and build their own relationship with God's creation? So those are some of the big questions that our team did a great job, like tackling, continuing to grapple with over these coming months and years. In our conversation thus far, Alex is helping us to see in new ways how matters of social justice are often tied to issues of environmental justice. The organization that he founded called Black Outside Incorporated serves at the intersection of those two realms. In response to the disparities that lead to black youth being disconnected from nature, Black Outside promotes reconnection, crafting experiences that teach students about their powerful historical connection to the outdoors and to inspire a new generation of outdoor participants. If you would like to learn more about their work, go to blackoutside.org or check them out on Instagram at blackoutside underscore inc. Now let's get back to our conversation with Alex Bailey. When you think about the future of the outdoor school, what are some of the things you're hoping to see in terms of how it develops or expands or what have you? One is just continuing to, to serve our communities and be alongside them in this journey. I shared this with someone else that I was giving feedback on. I was like, our job isn't to like teach people the outdoors. Like that's not, people have been going outdoors for thousands of years. Our job is just to be a bridge and a door opener. Like we want to be ushers. We're not gatekeepers. We want to be ushers to the outdoors. We want to help people find along the way, walk alongside them and find where their place is. Our goal isn't to say, oh, well, we'll just teach you everything by next person. I think that's something that I think about a lot is, is how can we be alongside our communities and, and then continue to build bridges to into communities that haven't had the opportunity to come to our property and experience the outdoors in that way. I think that's the exciting piece about what's next is like some of our newer schools that the outdoor school is going to engage with and how they can have the opportunity for the first time to see our property and see the Frio River, which is really, really beautiful and connect with God's creation in a unique way. What is actually the the vision for the school? I mean, what do they intend as sort of their general stated purpose? It might sound cliche, but it goes back to our mission statement. It really is to cultivate wholeness hmm. and think about that through through the outdoors. We target and serve only Title One schools. We tar- we serve a lot of urban schools and very intentional about that. But in the end, our end goal isn't that they run through 12 activities. Our end goal is that they feel more whole when they leave our property or their time with us. Our goal is that they feel more fulfilled, more rejuvenated. One big phrase that we use even for our teachers, professional development side that we were doing was like, we want this to be a life-giving experience. We don't want them to feel tired when they leave. We want them to feel energized and impassioned about serving youth in more intentional ways. I like the fact that you're working with teachers because in some ways it, it addresses things at a more systemic level. Right. I mean, you can affect one kid's life in a one time experience. But if you're teaching the teachers who are with those students all the time, I think you have a much better chance of having certain values or certain ways of of thinking and being cultivated, really, over the long term. I agree. I mean, that's the thing I think you got to pour into. And also, you know, the backup was we talked about being educators, right? If we're not feeling whole as educators, how can we serve our kids best? 
our kids will sense that. They're like, you are tired. I mean, I know I had days like that. They're like, Mr. Bailey, you seem tired. I'm like, yes, I'm tired. I was up till 2 a.m. grading, right? But it was a check for me to say, I need to come to this work a little bit more whole, a little bit more healed. This year was so hard for so many educators. I can only imagine virtual learning, double lesson planning, trying to figure out everything's changing. One month, the district says this. The next month, the district says something else. And it's not the district's fault. They're navigating a pandemic for the first time. And we all have to give each other grace for that. So I share that to say, I think what we thought about is how can we pour into our teachers and our educators? Because if they feel like more rejuvenated and refreshed, that's going to have a ripple effect. If we have 10 teachers, 10 teachers are serving 80 to 120 kids each. That's a thousand kids that we're impacting just by pouring into the teachers. So I think that's an important layer that we've innovated on and really ideated on during the last year of COVID is how can we better pour into the teachers so they can go out and feel more equipped to do the thing. How do you know if your programming is effective, if your time with them is effective? What if, what does wholeness look like? I mean, there's obviously metrics that our team has, has used historically for a long time. It's like, did you like the outdoors? Do you feel like it's a place? But I, I think, you know, we're, we're playing a long-term game. It's a long-term ripple effect game of this kid comes to us, but I, I've said this time and time again with our team, even me when I was coming in as newer as director, Michael is that they, like their time with us is just one chapter of a beautiful outdoor journey. So I know we've done well if it's, if it is one chapter and there's multiple chapters. What would break my heart is if a kid's like the outdoors is H.E. Butt Foundation Camp and nowhere else. I don't want our experience to be the only chapter. And for us, I'll name that. I've been open to that with some of our school partners. I was like, if you're coming to us and saying, you just want us to be the only chapter and okay, outdoors is done. They went to, they went to HEB camp. Great. And then that's it. This isn't the right reciprocal partnership that we're looking for. Like we want to be part of a journey and walk alongside you. We don't believe in just and just having a one-off experience and then see you later, see you next year. Not that we have to be in community every day with the youth, but that like we want to figure out what are the needs, how can we specialize and creatively support the work that you're doing alongside students in our communities. I'm wondering if, well, I'll say this. I think that there are probably teachers listening to you shouting yes and amen, right? <laughs> they, they clearly agree with you. And I think the sad fact is that we don't really do that for our teachers. Like we don't really think to invest in in them as, as whole people, invest in their healing and their well-being. I'm wondering why that is. What's your opinion? What you said caught me with what you said was the healing piece. I mean, some of, so we have to acknowledge, and I named this too with even our teacher cohort, we have teachers that have never haven't had equitable access to the outdoors. You know, we have teachers that haven't been able to experience these things. And so I think for them, it's a healing experience, as you said, to just come to a space and just can be. Servants also need time to rest, as Jesus has shown us so many times. And so I think it's important, too, that that they teachers and educators have such a beautiful servant's heart and that it's it's for servants. It's good sometimes to be served. Good that they came to us. And I was like, you don't have to worry about anything. You just show up. Food's taken care of. Everything's taken care of. I just want you to sit and be and reflect. And I think it was interesting because there was a little bit of, and I'll openly name this, that, that there's a little bit of what I call perpendicular tension with one of our partners that we were working with on the cohort, that they were very, you know, it's helpful to have that push. They're very outcomes driven. Okay, how many, but what, how, what are the teachers going to do when they get do this cohort? How many kids are they going to get outside? Or how many, it was very quantitative. I, it was healthy to have that push. And I also named and kind of pushed back in a way to say, 
teachers just need space to be sometimes. I mean, they're always told how many kids are passing a test, how many students are in class today, how many lesson plans have you done, how many kids did you differentiate for, right? And these are important questions to ask, but in terms of the healing space and, the, and making space for teachers to just be and be still and, and make space for themselves and model that so that they can continue to do that in the future is so important. Like, just imagine our communities. If we had teachers that were more healed or more more rested or more rejuvenated, how much better the lessons would be, how much more deeper connections they would have to students. If you were to speak to teachers who aren't in Texas, don't have easy access to what you're doing at the outdoor school, what might you say to them? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the deconstructing that idea of what the outdoors can be is important. You know, I if a teacher is listening from some space where like, we don't have a 2000 acre property that we could just apply to and go for free. My push would be, can you find creative ways? Like you're a teacher for a reason. You you have one of the most beautiful creative minds in all the professions. And so, uh, you know, I'll name for me. I mean, I'll never forget. I taught world geography one day and I'll forget my projector broke and our AC broke the same day for us. It was not a good day. And so I was like, you know what? We're doing a mapping activity. I was like, why don't I just take my kids outside and they can just like map the parking lot of the school and then map around it. And it's funny at the end of the day, when we did our end of year surveys. That was the main thing they remembered. They were like, oh, yeah, remember that day we went outside and we like explored and we did all this stuff. And we were like ducking between cars and mapping the cars and we turned it into you. I think those are the moments that our youth will remember. And so because the power of God's creation, the power of natural wonder. And so that would be my push is just continue to find creative ways like many of our teachers did this past year. One was teaching a lesson on human and environment interaction. And she's like, well, I could show you a bunch of pictures of buildings and how they've impacted our environment. And then she's like, well, wait a second. Why don't I just walk? She was in downtown San Antonio. She's like, why don't I just walk you to the river walk and have you all take pictures yourselves and they analyze it. And that was like such a creative thing on the spot that she did. And it was really powerful for her to see. I share all that to say that, you know, my encouragement to teachers and fellow educators is just continue to tap into that beautiful mind that y'all have and find ways to build bridges to, to the outdoors for your youth. It really does take creative thinking, doesn't it? To think outside the box, to include nature and the environment in your, your lesson plan. It's funny, you're making me have a flashback to, I guess, would it be second grade? We're all standing at the back of the, the play field where there was a little stream and there's a truck there basically unloading baby salmon into the creek. They were trying to repopulate the, the waterways with, with salmon. And for me, it might be the only thing I remember about second grade is that experience. And, you know, from, from that day onward, I was probably at that creek two or three times in a week, sometimes would get in a lot of trouble for that from the recess teachers, right? But I don't know. There was something about that that just captured my imagination. I love the fact you use captured imagination because that's that's the thing that like God's beauty and God's creation does. It just shows us how imaginative God is. I mean, I said this one time. I was like, think about like I have a leaf behind me. It's like how much molecules, how much creativity, how much imagination goes into just the creation of one leaf. So I think like that bridge, I believe on a spiritual level, when we connect with the outdoors, that's why it sparks that because there's so much imagination and creativity around us that God has had had their hand over. Well, I have to credit my teacher with that experience because not only did we get to watch them releasing the salmon, but there was a lot of teaching around that moment. Teaching that I think for the first time made me realize that, man, I have a role in this environment. Mm. It's like I can do something that impacts it. 
you know, for better or for worse, I can impact it. But the thought of being able to take care and restore nature and, and damaged environments was just something that really probably affected me and got me here where I am today, mm, honestly. That's so beautiful. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Yeah. Well, obviously your job is awesome, but I imagine it's also tiring and wearing sometimes. And I'm wondering, where, where do you find your hope these days? It might sound cliche, but I think for me, I find so much hope in our youth and just their imaginations and creativity in the world. And so I always joke our school system sometimes is where like so creativity sometimes goes to die and it really frustrates me. I think this next generation, especially in particular, they're just their equity lens on the world. They want the world to be a more inclusive space for all identities and all people. They want this world to be a place in, of, of care for the natural world around them. That's where I keep a lot of my hope. Fortunately, it's not as much in our society. I think we're so divided right now. I mean, there's still tension from what, everything that's taken place over the last year. You know, outside of, of, of Jesus, right, himself, I think like the youth and the beauty of, of, of the youth around us really give me a lot of hope for what what's to come for the future. I really love the fact that you're talking about, you know, the work of reconciliation, the work of recognition and, and mutual respect. It happens in nature. I mean, the, the environment is a place where, where that can happen, where I think normally we think of it in more social spheres, but it's actually an element of, of natural order as well, isn't it? Yeah, it is for sure. And, you know, we think about the root word of reconciliation. It's like to come back to something that was already there. And we as humans have been in nature for thousands of years, right? So that's why it's so natural for us. That's why I always say I'm not teaching anything about the outdoors. I'm just maybe showing you a new like way to navigate it. But I joke with you all the time. I was like, your, your body, your essence, your feet are literally built to walk on land, <laughs> We have to reconcile our own relationship with the earth and, and go back to where we started. And I think that's the beauty of nature is it goes back to this just original place of God's creation and, and what, what, what God designed for us. I love that. So so really, you're a professional reconciler in a way. Yeah, because you're, <laughs> no you're helping people. You're, no, no pressure. Right. But you're you're helping people. As you say, you're a bridge, right? You're helping people to recover that which was lost to them, that mm -hmm. you're you're making a way back to to a place, to a context, to an environment that, that could be their healing, that could be their reconciliation. Yeah, I mean, that's deep and that's powerful. I mean, and just the idea of being next to a rock and looking at it and be like, this rock has been here for thousands of years and it's going to be here probably for another thousands of years, long before you and long after you, just like God, that you are a, a blip on the timeline, but God cares so much for you to take the time out to care for your life, just like God takes so much time to care for, for just a sparrow that's flying around in this moment with you. So I love the fact that we're reconciling this, these, these beautiful things that I think nature can mirror God's beauty and care for us. And that it's so expansive and it's so eternal, some of the trees and creatures that we see. And so my hope is to reconcile that relationship and continue to rebuild it and restore through outdoor programming as a framework. We've been in conversation with Alex Bailey, Senior Director of the Outdoor School and founder of Black Outside Incorporated. For more information about Alex's work, go to the podcast show notes at circlewood.online forward slash earthkeepers. And if you want to leave a note or ask a question about this episode, shoot me an email at earthkeepers at circlewood.online or leave a voice message through the link on the podcast website. 
Earthkeepers podcast explores ways in which we can change ourselves, our communities, and our cultures to help us to care for the earth in holistic and regenerative ways. Through curated conversations, we highlight the wisdom of thought leaders and change agents who are making a difference and showing us a way forward. When Earthkeepers stand together, they amplify the impact of their resistance against environmental injustice and multiply their efforts for renewal and restoration. I am Forrest Inslee, your podcast host. Our executive producer is James Amidon. Our producer is Dave Olfers. Forrest Reed is our editor and the creator of our original music. Our research assistant is Rochelle Nordman. And Jessalyn Megerly is our social media director. Thank you, friends, for listening. And please join us next time on the Earthkeepers podcast. Podcast.